the you know the smaller micro influencers they're a bit more niche and they've actually got a better connection with their audience and also with the specific target customers so brands are actually finding they're getting better value by partnering with a few different um, you know micro influencers rather than spending a big budget on partnership with a, a really big influencer Welcome back to another week of the Digital Deep Dive Podcast. This is episode number eight. We're getting close to double digits. As always, I am Luke Chapman and I'm here with Lachlan Kirkwood. Hey, Lachlan. How are we, Luke? I'm doing well. We both turned up to the Digital Summit in Brisbane, the Interactive Minds Digital Summit, uh, which was also in Melbourne last week. So maybe some of our listeners were there. I know I ran into some of them at the events and they had good things to say and and some feedback about the podcast which is awesome so i think our deep dive today uh, after we cover all the news we'll be deep diving into some summaries from the digital summit some insights that be interested to hear from you lachlan what you took away from it and i'll share some of that as well there's been a few updates this week in terms of news uh there's a couple of big ones that really stand out to me but they're both kind of more in your world i think lachlan um but maybe we can start with them I noticed last week, as did probably everyone, uh, when you open Instagram, at least here in Australia and Canada and some other countries, that it came up with a message saying that they're now hiding the like count. So I'm sure people have probably noticed that or heard about that. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through that one? Yeah. So the one really interesting thing I want to point out, and I didn't even realize this until you messaged me earlier today, Luke, was that it's actually still visible on Instagram web. Um, and I don't know if that's just because that's the way you use Instagram, but like I normally just use it on my mobile itself, but, um, yeah, you can still go on Instagram web and see everyone's like counts on there, which is still a little convenient if you need it. Yeah. I did think that was a bit strange. I don't know if they're using, yeah, I don't know. It's, It's just weird. But yeah, I happened to log into Instagram on the desktop and could see all the likes. So yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, one thing that, like, I, will, I was on the fence about this because, you know, on one side it drives more deeper engagement and personally I think as well, like, engagement rates will start to be based off comments, not likes, which is probably better for the influencers who were concerned about losing that valuable metric. It might just encourage them to drive deeper engagements or deeper conversations with their audience, which, you know, if you are working with influencers, that's probably the better, um, I guess, metric that you should be targeting for anyway if you are running an influence campaign um but one kind of negative thing to it which i've seen on my personal account um and i wonder it i'd be curious to know if any other influencers um have seen this across their accounts is that i've noticed a drop a drop in engagement on my account just because it's kind of missing like a, a sense of social proof so I myself post a lot of video content more so than photos. That's just the content that my audience engages with the most. And I guess some of those videos are sometimes 40 to 60 seconds long. Um, and like that could just be a little bit too much for someone to watch the whole video or really kind of prepare themselves to engage with if they can't see that social proof already there. Um, and I noticed a slight decline in the engagement rate that I've had since that um, over the weekend. Um, and the other thing I kind of wanted to point out was I'd be really interested to see if um, 
Instagram starts introducing or opening up access to a lot of its APIs for third-party analytics tools because uh, I know they're quite restrictive on some fronts there. But I think it's just kind of will incentivize um, people working on influence campaigns to start really using tools and um, start kind of being smarter about the partnerships they're having and be a bit more proactive about um, trying to identify like different ways to get the right data that they need out of those partnerships. But yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if you've got any thoughts on this, Luke, or anything. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be a bit of a wet blanket and say I don't see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> well, so influencers are up in arms saying, oh, this is going to ruin our you know, our livelihood and everything. Okay, my my take on it is, first of all, you can still see the likes for your own account. So, you know, you can still open up your photos and see how many people like them, even if other people can't see that. And so, you know, if influencers are working with brands, I would think that brands, for the most part these days, are probably smart enough to be asking for some sort of analytics and and stats before deciding to, um, you know, and like you said, using some of the tools and things that are available before partnering with with influencers. I actually see that there's potentially a like a mental health benefit to this as well. Um, you know, I see so many people, you know, just mindlessly kind of scrolling through Instagram and just tapping like on everything. And from the influencer side um, or wannabe influencers, <laughs> you know, people are spending so long. I see so many people, you know, they have to get the perfect photos. They'll take 50 photos and have their hair in the right way or the lighting just right and to be sipping their cocktail by the pool. And if they don't get enough likes, then it's devastating because, you know, they don't have that validation from everyone else. So I think especially for maybe at least a, a certain demographic, I think there's probably a mental health benefit, honestly, to you know not having so much of this pressure on having to be so liked and, and hitting you know certain numbers of likes. I was talking to someone the other day uh, over lunch on the weekend, actually, and they said, oh, did you see you know my f- photos from my trip on Facebook? And I said, no, nah, I don't really go on much, so I haven't, you know, I haven't seen it. And she was like, oh, I got you know 300 likes on one photo. It was great. And then a few minutes later, we were talking about Instagram and how they've removed likes. And she was like, yeah, I don't get why everyone's so caught up in, you know, people have to like my stuff. And I was like, hang on, two minutes ago, you were just going, oh, did you see I got 300 likes on my photo on Facebook? So clearly it does matter to you, you know, whether you realize it or not. I think it's kind of seeping into the culture and people are really needing that uh, validation from, from outside, which is, a you know, that's a human trait anyway. I think um, platforms like Instagram and various other social media are potentially, you know, making that a bit worse. So, look, I think there are benefits from it. Maybe influencers aren't happy, but the other way I look at it is if you're actually getting likes on your content now, I would see them as more genuine likes than before because it's not like the the whole social proof or the crowd mentality where you're scrolling through and you see, oh, 20,000 people have liked this image, so I'll tap like as well. Whereas if you're scrolling through and no one's clicked like, I mean, you might be less likely to to click on that. So how much of that is because you actually like the photo and how much is because everyone else is doing it, so I better do it as well. So yes, I think the number of likes will go down overall, but I would I would think that the likes that you are getting are perhaps more genuine then, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. Anyway, that's my little rant against social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other thing on Instagram 
that I did see this week, which I shared in the Facebook group and you commented on today, Luke, was um, spotted a Instagram promoted um, story. Well, Instagram. Oh, that was the, the poll, right? Like yeah. The, um, the paid ad that was a poll asking people the question. Yeah, 100%. So just a bit of a background. I'd be happy to link to the post in our show notes if you wanted to actually see it. So Facebook has had polls ads in closed beta for a while, and I've shared an example of one of those in the group as well. Um, and now Instagram has a um, poll feature natively in uh, its story ad format. So there was an agency, an Australian-based agency, that was essentially just asking digital marketers if they would get any value out of any digital marketing workshops, and they just had a poll on that ad. Um, which I was really fascinated by because I actually thought it was an organic post when I first saw it until I actually saw the call to action, um, like the swipe up CTA and also the um, sponsored tag on the post. So I was really intrigued as to logistically how this was set up in terms of if this is like a new feature that you can set up in ads manager or on the other hand, is it just a promoted story similar to how you can like boost a post on Facebook? I'd be interested to know if you can, you know, start promoting posts that are stories essentially, which I think would be really powerful. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, like it was really effective because it's one of those, it's kind of at that point where it's such a new format of ad where I thought it was organic. Um, so by all means, I'll be watching that space and be happy to let anyone know when it kind of starts to become available to the public or anything, just so that way you can kind of jump on that while it is a bit hot. But did you have any thoughts on that one Lee? um i just thought it was quite funny that they put a poll up <laughs> that was, you know it wasn't masked very well it was clearly a, a fairly salesy post and i i think that it, the results of the poll maybe didn't go the way that they had planned <laughs> they were like you know oh, do you struggle with this and need help with this and everyone was like uh no <laughs> yeah. so yeah you'll have to you'll probably have to click on that in our show notes to see what i'm talking about but um yeah, I thought maybe it uh, backfired a little bit. So potentially, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah. So I think there's plenty of great opportunities that you could use it for, um, but maybe put a little thought into it first. One last thing I would like to add on that is that I think it would be quite effective if, so just looking at the image now of the ad, um, essentially it was, a, as I mentioned, digital marketing agency that said, like asked if you wanted to join in a digital marketing workshop um, like their brand and I think 78% of people said that they didn't need it um, and the remaining 22% said that they would. Um, I think it'd be really powerful to be able to create custom audiences based on the poll results so that way you know you could create an ad set of the 22% of people that did want to attend that and that you could even for the future exclude people who said that they're not interested so that way you're not wasting your ad spend on targeting people that aren't relevant at all for your target audience. But, yeah, it was really interesting. So I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I think um, I think Kate Cook was talking about that. Right on, um, I don't know if it was LinkedIn or in the Facebook group was saying, yeah, it'd be really interesting to use it for that kind of stuff on, on Facebook as well. You can do that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. And um, also, I guess, on the kind of paid ad front for Facebook slash Instagram, I – Notice this week when I logged on Facebook, I um, had a completely new UI for the ads manager tool, which did you get a chance to see the screenshots of that, Luke? 
No, I haven't uh, haven't looked at any ads manager stuff this week. There you go. Really interesting. So, like, from the people I've spoken to, no one else actually has it yet, and I haven't seen anything published by people like Matt Navarra or Social Media Today or anything. So, like, I'm really fascinated by it, to be honest. Um, so, it's a completely different user interface to what Ads Manager you'd be familiar with. Um, it's really minimalistic. Um, everything's got, like, flat shadows on it. Um, it's how do I explain it? It's very different. Um, so a kind of a few of the main changes were that um, all the campaign tabs that you would normally filter through at the top um, horizontally. So if you, you know you're filtering through your campaign, your ad set, and then your ad level, um, they're all now filtered vertically, and they're in a left-hand column on the page. Um, so the top of the page is essentially blank. <laughs> And everything's. I feel like they're just copying the uh, the recent Twitter redesign. Literally, yes, and like everything is that (laughs) same shade of white that's like almost blinding to view. Um, And the other really interesting thing is that traditionally there was a drop down menu where you could um, access different ad products like audiences, ad ad assets, and uh, like custom events and things like that. Um, whereas all of that now is nested under a more tool sub menu. So there's not as much of a focus on those. Um, but when you're creating custom audiences and things like that, um, UI again, is completely different and it's a lot more instructive in terms of like it incentivizes you or prompts you, I guess, to create certain types of audiences. So if you're creating something, it'll give like a suggestion and say like, oh, you know, like do you know that you could use this target people, you know, who have watched this percentage video instead of creating a custom audience the way you were going to use? So it's actually quite impressive to see. Um, and, of course, you can still switch back to the old UI in the meantime um, if, you know, you're not a fan of it, similar to what Google Ads did for quite a while there before they completely rolled that um, ads, when it, ads UI out. Um, but, yeah, no, it was really interesting to see. I'll definitely share some screenshots um, in the show notes because, yeah, it's really interesting, and I hadn't actually seen anything about it until I just got access to it the other day, to be honest, which is really strange. I hadn't heard that they were building anything as well too, so it was very sudden for me. Mm, be interesting to see if it rolls out to everyone else. Yeah, and then pretty much the last thing for me in the social world this week was um, just a bunch of new updates coming to TikTok, which is actually really exciting to see. So I think we kind of mentioned this in the past in a few episodes, but... I mean, I'd always been interested in the platform and then about just over a week ago, I started kind of using it for my own personal account, um, which has been quite good. Really just trying to get to know the ins and outs of the platform as they start to ship ad features, um, which is going to be exciting. Um, But something I was looking at over the weekend, so one of my videos got featured on the For You page, which is like their equivalent to the Discover feed. And I really wanted to get some data around like, who my audience was because I was getting just a bunch of random followers and a bunch of engagement, but I knew that it just it wasn't like in my target audience. So, you know, coming back to what you said, Luke, it's great to, you know, people think it's great to have a lot of followers, but if it doesn't actually mean anything, like, you know, it's kind of pointless. So I was looking through trying to find like a third-party analytic tool for TikTok. I couldn't find a thing at all. And then I stumbled across this random article from PPC Land, I think it was. And they just mentioned that literally last week, TikTok had released a pro account feature, um, which is essentially just like creating a business account on Instagram. Although 
when I updated, it just asked um, you to verify your contact details, so like a phone number and email, and then also what entity your profile is, so whether it be like a public figure or a sports page, although it hasn't changed the way that like my profile is listed, so everything's the complete same. And now I have access to performance insights based on my total following, so I can get gender insights and location breakdowns as well as engagement rates. Um, and I can also see that across individual posts as well so you can start to get an idea of like what content resonates better with what people in certain demographics of the world which is really exciting um but i think it's a really powerful tool that's coming out as tiktok is going to start to become quite a large platform for influencers um so yeah it's going to be a really exciting time i think on that and i haven't again i haven't really heard anything else from any other publishers talking about the new pro accounts but they literally came out last week so if you're using that like anyone can access it any account so be sure to update to that and you can start to get some data your performance the other kind of last things on tiktok were from jane wong who i religiously follow on twitter so she loves reverse engineering products and kind of showing early screenshots of product features that might ship potentially some don't some do but she's hunted lots of different product features on instagram and facebook before they've been released to the general public and she essentially just shared a whole bunch of new product features potentially coming to tiktok which is actually making it a bit more like instagram i thought um, so a few that really kind of stuck out to me were that um the layout for the for you page which is traditionally just like a um, you can vertically scroll through videos similar to like a story and instead of tapping and going to the next slide it you can essentially slide to the next video so it's just a great way to kind of like just passively consume content almost to like the same as the Instagram discover feed once you open up a video um, but essentially TikTok now is making a well is going to introduce a grid layout for the view page which is quite big um, so they do still have a discover page, but the few page is separate. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see, I guess, now that they could store more content on that page, what that will mean for creators, whether or not that means that they get more engagement or if they, you know, they don't have a engaging thumbnail for their video that could actually drive engagement down. So that was one update coming to TikTok that was exciting. The other one that really got me excited was that you can finally, or you could potentially, if they decide to ship it, be able to switch between accounts. So uh, one thing I've done now is I've also created the business account for an e-com store that I have. Um, and I've just been trying to publish some video content for that to build that audience. Um, and just kind of experiment with what content's gonna work for that audience as well. But uh, I've had to log out and log into accounts all the time between getting notifications and publishing content, which is Really, again, reminiscent of Instagram in its early days. Um, but yeah, they're essentially just introducing a feature where you can toggle between accounts so you don't have to log in and out every time. And the last two little updates that are coming is that the one downside I have to TikTok is the comment section on a post. It's just like, oh, you just get lost in there. Like it's, it's almost like Twitter before they tried to fix the notification problem. Nothing matches up. If you were to reply to someone, it doesn't show that in the order within that post. So if you 
it doesn't nest that comment, I should say. So if you reply to someone's comment, it puts it back to the top of the comment section with your comment and it just has... Oh, so it's just a live feed of all comments kind of thing? Yep, literally. And it's very hard to navigate and see. You almost have to like someone's comment just to kind of tick off the fact that you've commented to it, I guess, like to <laughs> mark that in a way. Um, but again, like there's just, it's hard to keep up with so many comments and a feature that's coming out now is that when the creator of a piece of content likes another user's post on a creator's post, um, it'll add a badge to that comment that says that it's liked by the creator. Um, so it's actually quite a good feature to incentivize people to comment on posts so that they can see that their favorite creators have taken the time to actually like it as opposed to just, you know, uh, you can't actually f see who has liked your comment. So this would be a bit of an incentive, I guess, for people to, you know, drive comments or more meaningful engagement, I guess you could say. I saw you were getting some really good numbers from the, was it for the, sorry, was it from the For You section on TikTok that you were getting all the, the views? Yeah. So there's lots of different ways that you can discover discover content on TikTok. Um, so as I mentioned, there is like a search page where you can search people by the handle, you can search through hashtags. And the other big thing is you can search through songs. So the idea of TikTok is you, like they have quite a large catalog of music that you can add to a song. And when the video plays, it leaves like a watermark on your video of what song that is. And a user can click into that and see other posts using that song and they can also search for that or filter that parameter in the search page um so i used quite a pretty popular song by drake um i think that could have also attributed to the, like the engagement i was getting but pretty much um oh, okay. the for you page works which like there's no real way to tell if i was featured or not but you kind of be under the impression that i was is the way the for you page works is unlike um instagram where it will essentially just uh, showcase the top creators. Anyone can be featured on the For You page. So there is an algorithm that obviously shows relevant content to people's interests, but you don't need to have like a minimum amount of followers. You could literally create an account um, right now and create a really engaging piece of content. You could get featured on the For You page. And I've seen like people who, uh, someone's video, um, it was the second or third video and the caption was, I've been on TikTok for 11 hours. Why am I not famous? And that one video <laughs> got 50,000 likes and they got like 30,000 <laughs> followers. And they'd literally, I went on their profile and they hadn't published anything since. And it was literally in the first day of using TikTok. So it was crazy to see like the engagement <laughs> that they could get from it. Um, and so, yeah. Do you know of any... Um do you know of any tools to like see uh, which hashtags are trending or popular on, on TikTok? Nothing yet. Absolutely nothing. Um, so as I mentioned, like over the weekend, I went kind of looking for some platforms or tools like that. And just the native analytics inside the pro account is the only thing that I could find. Yeah. Um, so again, like I'm be the first to jump on it as soon as it comes out. Um, it'll be really exciting to see. Um, and even just like users can search by, um, words. So essentially you can search by captions almost. Um, so like the video I published had a fire emoji in it. So like potentially people could have, you know, searched for a fire emoji and it would list my video, um, within that parameter, which is quite cool. 
Um, but yeah, the last kind of feature I wanted to mention is that the other cool thing about TikTok as well is that when you publish a piece of content, you can also distribute it to any other platform like Snapchat stories or Instagram stories, um, which is quite cool because TikTok has some really good native editing tools in it that can make or you can edit a lot more engaging content than what you can do inside of Instagram itself. Um, and now what it's going to do is start displaying the number of shares that people send to like a third-party platform. Um, they're going to share that publicly. So in the past, just creators could actually just see how many people have shared the video. It wasn't public, whereas now they're going to start sharing that as well too. So coming back to the whole idea of social proof, like that could be a really good growth measure for them to encourage people to share it if they've seen that others have already done it as well too. But yeah, so some really exciting features coming. As I mentioned, like a lot more to do with um, kind of similar features to the way the Instagram functions, I guess, or like the way that the UI is laid out on that. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'll be sure to report any progress or anything like that that I have to share. Good. There's a couple of really small things that I'll just touch on. Um, Google published a kind of a, a JavaScript SEO basics guide. Um, so I can link to that. I won't go too much into it, but basically, yeah, if it's um, if you're using JavaScript on your site, uh, which a lot of sites are these days, to you know, do various things, um, there's do's and don'ts when it comes to SEO and Google being able to crawl the page and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, they've released a bit of a guide specific to JavaScript, which would be handy to go through if you uh, publishing your site. Um, what else was there? I did see there's a Chrome update as well to, I think they're making some changes or closing some loophole in incognito mode, which um, is going to affect some websites that use paywalls um, where it pops up a thing, you know, that you can only view a couple of articles per day or you can't view any without logging in. Um, and there's all kinds of different ways to implement that. But some of those implementations will be broken now by this um, change in Chrome. Um, so yeah, it's probably not going to affect too many people, but, um, also I hate paywalls. So if it does break, then too bad, <laughs> um, you know, maybe provide better content for, for people. I'm looking at you career mail. <laughs> um, apart from that, um, I did see there was a, you know, I love my stats and my studies. So there was an influencer marketing study that came out sort of looking at how much influencers get paid. So some interesting insights from that, just to give you, you know, some ballparks. Again, this is US dollars as with most studies. Um, but if you're a, what they define as a nano influencer, which is between 500 and 5,000 followers, they make an average of 315 US dollars per YouTube video. Um, you know, you can go up to uh, a power influencer, which is between 30,000 and 500,000 influencers. They were getting 782 per video. And then if you've got over 500,000, then you're considered a celebrity and you can kind of write your own check. But what was interesting is out of this um, study and looking at uh, brands that are using influencers, a lot of them are shifting from, you know, partnering with the celebrities or the really big, you know, power influencers. And shifting down to the nano or the micro influencers, which cost a lot less, and that was certainly one motivation for it. But a lot of them are saying that the you know the smaller micro influencers they're a bit more niche, and they've actually got a better connection with their audience and also with the specific target customers. So brands are actually finding they're getting better value by partnering with a few different um, you know micro influencers rather than spending 
a big budget on partnership with a, a really big influencer. So <clears throat> it's interesting that you know spending on this kind of stuff might be going up overall, but it's not necessarily with the kind of people that you would expect, the big ones, you know. Um, a lot of it's these very small influencers. So a bit of a shift in terms of how the spending is happening. People are really trying to get that more authentic feel, I guess, and, and a more genuine connection than just, I don't know, Kendall Jenner hold, holding a Pepsi or whatever, or Kylie Jenner. I don't know, one of those Jenners. I don't know my Kardashians. So. <laughs> Not the only one. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of all. There wasn't wasn't much else in news that I saw this week. So if that's all that we had on news, do you want to talk Digital Summit? Yeah, why not? How did you find it? You Obviously, let's talk about you first with the debate. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to- no, let's talk about you. <laughs> no, let's, I want to hear. Obviously, like I heard the uh, the dad joke that just sealed the deal for me. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> locked in your vote. So, yeah. Yeah. So for those that um, aren't familiar with the Digital Summit, it's an all-day conference in Brisbane and Melbourne that yeah pulls together a whole lot of different people from different industries, and they usually get a couple of international keynote speakers to come in and talk about different things. I had a very small part to play in this year's summit in Brisbane. I was asked to be on. They had a little um, debate at the end of the day your typical kind of you know high school debate but just a fun little way to wrap up the day and the topic and the reason that I was um, you know asked to to join because of what I do for work is or well, the the actual topic was that marketing automation is critical to success as a marketer or to being a successful marketer and I Louisa the the lady that organized the conference said do you want to be on the debate and I said debate and I said yes put me on the negative team and I'll argue against marketing automation because I thought that'd be more fun so yeah, and I, as you say, I cracked out the the dad jokes. Um, so I both managed to make people laugh and then make the entire room of four hundred people groan at the same time, which was quite a sound, I can tell you, when I was standing up the front listening to it. Um, so I feel like that's a lifetime achievement that I've now unlocked. You did well, but we did win the we did win the debate. So yeah, I saw the results of the poll. You know, they polled the audience, and I think we had 78% of the vote. Oh, so wow. a pretty comfortable win there. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the other speakers, there were lots of great speakers during the day. I think Melbourne had mostly the same speakers, but a few others as well. So keen to hear what you got out of the Melbourne conference if you went to that one. But, yeah, what did you? who, who did you find as a highlight out of the, the day? Um, yeah, so for me it was pretty much straight off the bat was the Strava presentation which is really fascinating. So they kind of wanted to talk about um, some of the growth mechanisms that were built into the Strava app itself. And for me, it was really fascinating because it was a great crossroad between like product data and digital marketing. And they essentially covered about how they make data-driven decisions um, of event data within the app to inform like the way that they build products or product features or even how they can start to target particular audiences with particular digital strategies or even features within that Um, and just like really good insights in terms of like being able to deep link back into specific parts of the app that were customized to your account and like it was a great example of a brand that's able to use people's data for good and share that with the user so I found it really fascinating that like the users end user for Strava is 
like quite happy to hand over as much data as they can because it's the kind of brand that will share those insights back and kind of unlock those enriched insights to the user and just things like you know at the end of the year they'd give a summary of kind of their total performance um, within the app um, but yeah I found it really fascinating did you enjoy that one as well yeah look I'm a Strava user from way back um, for those that don't know what Strava is it's a basically like a tracking um, app for cycling running swimming I guess that's the main user group but it'll sort of record a GPS path of where you've been as well. So I, you know, I personally use it for cycling. So yeah, it'll record the path of where you went. They've got segments. So it's all user generated content um, where you can create a segment from point A to point B as short or as long as you like, give it a name, but it'll then show you times of everyone that's been through that segment. So you can then compete against other people. You can be like king of the mountain or queen of the mountain, whoever's got the fastest time for that segment. You can compare yourself to your friends as well. So if you go out running or riding or, or swimming against your friends, you can compare times and that'll show you, you know, maybe you're not ever going to get the king of the mountain, but you might be the top of your friends list, um, you know, along that certain segment. So, and of course, comparing to your own previous efforts as well. So I love it when I get home from, you know, cycling a route that I normally cycle and it's like, oh, you got five achievements and, you know, you've beaten your time on these segments and it kind of, yeah, it brings out a little bit of a competitive side, whether that's against yourself, against your friends, or against you know everyone in the in the general public. And yeah, there are so many great integrations with Strava. So yeah, I get a lot out of it. I'm a big data nerd as well, so I love seeing how much you know how much power I've put out in certain segments. And you can you know I've got all the bells and whistles, so I've got my power meter and my heart rate monitor and cadence sensor and all of that stuff. So I love digging into the data afterwards and. There's a few different apps and things that can connect to Strava to, you know, pull even more insights out of it. But yeah, Strava, like, so what I got out of it, a few different things. I was lucky enough to go to the speaker's dinner the night before as well. So I had a great chat to Kathy from Strava, who is a lovely person as well. But one of the things she was talking about was that they really have um, some North Star metrics. So as in like a real shining light to use as your, you know, your guiding light um, that you're aiming towards. And one of the ones that Strava uses is <laughs> what she called, I think it was time to something useful. That is, um, well, if, you, if you're in web development you, or SEO, you probably know time to first byte, which is one of the aspects of loading speed for a website. But it's basically the same thing for an app. But rather than just time for the app to open, their metric is, you know, time to something useful. <laughs> so basically, if you open it, how long is it from when you click on the app icon for it to open up and load, and then for you to actually be able to do something in the app. Um, so one of their key things was to bring that down. But that was, you know, really a, a North Star metric, as they called it, that they were aiming towards. And so she was talking about how, you you know, you should have some of those kind of North Star um, guiding metrics to, to work towards in whatever your business is. Um, so that was interesting. But yeah, I love the way that they tell stories with the data. And I think a, a key point that she made was, you know, data is data. It's only as good as how you use it and what stories you tell with it. So I think especially like, you know, if you're presenting that data to someone else, it's kind of meaningless to them without any context or without any story around it. So it's really important to how can you use that data then to tell whatever story it is you're trying to tell. Um, you know, she showed some great comparisons with um, the wildfires that they had over in California and there was just smoke all through the city and you can actually see the data 
you know, the the fire data versus the Strava data. And you can see that people just stopped going outside and running and, and cycling when these wildfires were happening. And it's really interesting to to look at some of those metrics and then overlay other metrics, you know, from outside your own platform and, and see what correlations are there. So yeah, I love all the the data nerd stuff. But yeah, I think there were some really key insights from from her presentation. But yeah, the storytelling with data is is kind of one of them and having a North Star metric to work towards. The other thing I think is just really embracing that community and the user-generated content and the fact that, um, yeah, like Strava really is a community that really tapped into something human, I think, in terms of people working together and competing against each other. And, you know, she showed examples of people doing kinds of things with the data that you wouldn't expect and that it wasn't designed for. So she gave the example of people drawing different little cartoons and characters with the map so that actually plot out a route on say google maps or whatever and then go and run that route or cycle that route and it would draw you know when you look at the the gps route that they they have on strava of their run or their their cycle draws you know there was like a cute little number that someone (laughs) drew or something and um yeah just like you, you totally wouldn't expect that kind of stuff when you're designing the platform but it's interesting to see, you know, once humans actually interact with it, what they end up doing. But yeah, I got plenty out of the Strava one. That was one of my favorites for sure. Um, Any other one? What else did you uh, did you take away from the day? Um, the only one I really wanted to touch base on was Ursula from SAP. Um, so it was really interesting yep. hearing like... She was talking about influencers, right? Yeah, which was like, I thought SAP was there to talk about data-driven insights, not influence marketing. Um so it was really interesting to actually hear about like what SAP internally is doing to drive growth for their platform through influencers. Um, so essentially, Ursula mentioned that B2B influencers is like has huge potential on platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter now. And just the idea of like um, collating or collaborating even like all of your internal employees um, within your organization to essentially become content creators and build an audience of their own and drive engagement for your product or brand through the stories that your um, employees have to tell and then repurposing that content as brand content. Um, And they mentioned that there was a good case study where they went to a particular conference over in the States and um, they were able to just create content so quickly on the day because they had lots of their employees there um, creating on the fly as opposed to then going back and, you know, the next day looking at what were the key takeaways and things like that. So they were able to get, like, well, take advantage of a lot of the opportunity with things like trending hashtags and just being able to drive a lot more engagement from their whole digital strategy through the power of B2B influencers. So that was really fascinating. Um, did you take anything from that one? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they, the way that they were kind of using, the, you know, their model's a bit different. I guess they don't really sell direct to consumer. Um, so they were actually showcasing some of their partners and putting them in front of the camera um, to talk about SAP products, but in a more authentic way rather than just the brand pushing it. And it resulted in, you know, some of these just partnering with, you know, even small resellers of their of their products. And those guys were able to get hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sales out of it, you know, even though it's not directly with with SAP. 
But I thought, yeah, it's a great way if you're in that B2B space, you know, partner with some of your other businesses that that work with your products and get them to do the selling for you. Um, so that was an interesting way to do it. Definitely. Was there any other kind of key takeaways from any presentations that you liked? Yeah, there were a few of the other ones um, that I quite enjoyed. Um, one that was a bit of a surprise for me, given that, I mean, I don't really work in the social media world very much anymore, but Chobani, the yogurt company, they got up and were, were talking about all kinds of stuff, but a lot of it was really connecting with individual customers. And I thought it was amazing that, you know, and it really helped <laughs> with my debate as well, talking against marketing automation, but how they did things in a very authentic but manual way, you know, like they wrote 300 individual letters to people, you know, handwritten by people. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff you, you can't automate it. But sometimes that's the thing that really has more impact. You know, they just and, and being able to be agile as well. It's not something that a lot of workplaces can do, especially bigger companies. But the fact that, you know, they gave an example where they got a tweet or a message from someone saying, oh, you know, I love Chobani and we're getting married in a few days and I'd love to get, you know, some Chobani stuff there or whatever. And they in three days, they were able to turn around and like develop all this cool custom stuff for this person's wedding. And it was just like amazing that I, I don't know how you turn it around and do it in such a short time frame, but they clearly have, you know, the ability to say, yes we're going to do it. You know, it doesn't have to go through all this red tape and approval from all these different people. So the more of that that you can cut out and actually be agile and quick to respond to things, I think is amazing if you can do that. And the fact that they, you know, it's a yogurt brand. It's not something that's cool and fun and sexy, but they have so many people engaging with them on social media. Yeah. I'm surprised how many people are engaging with yogurt on social media. Like, They've got Snapchat filters and they've got people doing dances with Chobani yogurt. And I'm just like, wow, I don't know how they, how did they do this? They've like created their own category and their own hype around a product that like no one else would think of doing that, surely. Yeah, that was a really interesting one, actually. And again, just like using their users as user generated content or even like some of their smaller like customers as like nano influencers almost. So that was really fascinating. Yeah. And the other one for me, probably the last one I'll talk about that um, stood out for me from the Digital Summit was, um, I think his name was was James McDonald um, from Audience Group. And he was talking about, and actually Kathy from Strava was kind of talking about this to a point as well, that people are really optimizing for bottom of the funnel conversions. So James McDonald was talking about AI and how, you know, a lot of these platforms are using machine learning and AI, things like Google AdWords, for example, or or lots of the different ad platforms really, and going, okay, which of these, you know, combinations of things that we know about the user and that we know about the ad and the copy and everything, like what combination are we seeing most people converting from? And then it basically optimizes for that and goes, okay, well, these are the ones that are converting. So let's target more of those people. But the interesting thing that I, you know, I hadn't really thought too much about before was he gave the example of, okay, so there's person A and they might be looking at new cars and looking at buying a BMW and might be already 80% decided that they're going to buy this new BMW. And so you advertise to them and, oh, they converted, okay, and they bought a BMW. But even if you did no advertising to that person, they were already 80% you know, going to buy that product. So how much impact did that advertising really have? 
but it's counted as a conversion when you're looking at all these ad platforms. Whereas there might be another person who's looking for a new car, but they're only you know 20% likely to buy a BMW. And if you're advertising to both those people, okay, the 80% one is almost guaranteed to convert. The 20% one might not convert most of the time. And so these ad platforms are going, eh, well, those people don't really convert, so we're going to ignore them and we'll go after the people that are going to convert. But yeah, like if is there much point or I guess how do you apply a value to someone, you know, advertising to someone who was already going to buy regardless versus someone who potentially could be swayed across to buying your product or service? Um, but these, you know, these algorithms tend to ignore those people and not really bother. So yeah, part of his thing was talking about advertising to the people that weren't going to buy you in the first place, which I, yeah, I just thought was a really different perspective. And, you know, people these days are really putting all their trust in AI and in machine learning and all these ad platforms saying, oh, we're going to increase conversions. And, you know, if you're looking at those kind of last click metrics, um, depending on how you're looking at it, yeah, okay, your conversions might be through the roof, but how do you know those people weren't going to buy anyway? So yeah, I just thought that was a very interesting thing to look at. I don't know that there's an ideal solution out there, um, but something to consider anyway. I think it just comes back to like having a really good understanding of like how your funnel works. Um, It's a good example, like something I've done in the past is like just ensuring that like the top of your funnel is literally just driving top of funnel users. Like you're not trying to convert those users. Well, like you could be trying to convert them to like, I don't know, like through a lead gen ad or something like that. But your goal is to not get them to purchase your product or service yet. Um, and I think it's at the point where it gets to that kind of bottle of funnel slash mid funnel stage is when, you know, it, it does have benefits to introduce some of those kind of optimized targeting parameters and things like that so yeah i think it just comes back to the holistic approach of how you've set up your funnel and really understanding what the purpose is throughout that whole procedure yeah and you know it's great to advertise at the top of the funnel and i think a lot of people though look at it and they just look at it from a hard numbers point of view and go well we advertised all these people but none of them bought anything but you know there's still value at the top of the funnel it's just that it's part of that whole customer journey and just because they're not buying right now because they've seen one ad doesn't mean that it's not worth advertising and and talking to those people and getting in front of them which yeah i don't know if we go down the whole um rabbit hole of talking about above the line sort of traditional media versus digital (laughs) because i don't want to get you started on that (laughs) i know your thoughts on that yeah but like i guess the point is it's easy to fall into the trap of going well i can measure these conversions so those are the ones we're going to focus on um, when there's you know more to the story than than just that data, certainly. Well, that was pretty much all I had to cover. Was there anything else you heard from the event or anything like that news wise that you want to talk about? No, I mean the event was was great. I'd definitely suggest uh, you know going along in future, or if you um, they do have other events during the year. So if you've got any events that you think we should head along to, definitely get in touch. I'd be keen to to hear what events you've been to that you find interesting and get some useful insights from but yeah i think that's pretty much us for the week i think this is the first episode it's taken us eight episodes but i think this is the first one we've gotten through without you lachlan saying the words sticker pack <laughs> or kebab menu <laughs> <laughs> oh, kebab menu was only the last few i think but yeah sticker pack so uh do you have anything to say about sticker, sticker packs this week i actually do so on tiktok <laughs> now 
it's just it's probably a feature that's been around for ages but on tiktok you can add a poll sticker to your video and that's all i'll leave it at all right maybe maybe episode nine next week will be the first one without us talking about stickers (laughs) (laughs) i'll try my best (laughs) hey if there's some you know breaking news about sticker packs then i want to hear it you never know Uh, But anyway, I guess that's us for another week. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Where can we find you to have a chat, Lachlan? Uh, On Twitter, at Lachlan Kirkwood. And any of my content will be across my blog, which is LachlanKirkwood.com. What about yourself? Um, I was going to say definitely go and check out Lachlan's blog for the article that we kind of mentioned last week about whether you need to go to university or not to get into digital marketing. That's a, a good article. I quite enjoyed the read. But yeah, I am also on Twitter. You can find me at Digital Peddler or on my website, lukechapman.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Give us a review and, of course, share with your friends. Uh, And if you have any suggestions for us on what you'd like to see on future episodes, drop us a line. Until next week, though, I think that's us. So we'll see you then.